Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Ollie Williams, former BBC Olympics reporter, current co-founder and editor of Yellow Knife's Cabin Radio, who's coming to us from a house in Fort Simpson that is currently providing refuge for two cabin radio reporters, a CBC reporter, and five members of the Red Cross. Welcome to Shortcuts. Yeah, thanks. That's a, that's a good introduction. I enjoyed that. I was thoroughly factually accurate. It's quite the world. Today on the show, how many CRTC commissioners does it take to reject the license application? They won't tell us. But first, uh, amidst the Northwest Territories wildfires and the evacuation of Yellowknife, shining like the brightest stars have been transmissions from cabin radio. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to you by Thomas Street, Brian Trenholm, Eric Farrell, Andrew Fafard, good name, Juanita Lee, Matthew Stark, Christopher Lynchahan, and Carrie. I manage a nonprofit organization called Sudbury Shared Harvest. And I support Canada Land because unlike other sources of news and current affairs, it's almost never boring. I have to admit that I also appreciate being a paid supporter because I no longer have to listen to those ads for manscaping. Keep doing what you're doing. NASA releasing these satellite images Tuesday of wildfire smoke surrounding Yellowknife in Canada's Northwest Territories. About 20,000 people were ordered to leave last week. Many went to the small town of Betchico. The scramble to safety has separated families, heightening anger and anxiety. The city is not safe. Uh, we strongly encourage folks if who have not left to leave. I traveled 19 hours straight through to Edmonton to evacuate with so many other NWT residents. If you want minute-to-minute -minute updates, I highly suggest following Cabin Radio for the ongoing NWT wildfire situation. In a 2019 National Post column, former Canadian finance minister Joe Oliver contended that Canada would benefit from climate change due to, among other things, the greater personal comfort of living in a more hospitable climate. That same year, Post columnist Terence Corcoran also floated the idea that climate change might be good for Canada, noting that, contrary to claims of insurers and others, Canada has not experienced increases in extreme weather events. And the next year, Corcoran decried the, quote, sensational language in the media and elsewhere that implies the Arctic is heading into some kind of oblivion. A changing Canadian Arctic might even be good. Well, it is now 2023, and Canada's north is indeed warmer. It's just that it kind of overshot the columnist's uh, optimistic predictions of a temperate utopia jumping straight to on fire. Or as the front page of Saturday's National Post put it, Wildfire summer rages on as residents flee Yellowknife and homes burn in B.C. Last Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, as flames encroached the capital of the Northwest Territories, nearly all of Yellowknife's 20,000 residents were evacuated. A week later, pretty much the city's whole population remained scattered in temporary accommodations across the prairies, as well as in other parts of the Northwest Territories that are not themselves under evacuation orders. A similar situation played out over the weekend for residents of the B.C. interior, though some of them have been able to return home. With Facebook and Instagram having banned news in Canada and Twitter or X's user experience these days having become the equivalent of wading knee-deep through sewer water, the wildfires have become the country's first major news event to unfold in a new, almost post-social media information paradigm where we're trying to shake off so much of what we've learned over the past 15 years about how and where news ought to flow. Today, we're going to examine what that has meant in practice. 
how in the Northwest Territories, journalists and regular citizens have been clearing new paths to ensure that solid information is able to find its way from the mouths and keyboards of the people who can best provide it to the ears and eyes of the people who most require it. And throughout this, like we at Candlelight have kept getting emails like this one from Sarah Deitch, who wrote, The best coverage is actually an independent, tiny local media outlet called Cabin Radio, operated by Ollie Williams. I thought it could be a good angle from a media criticism perspective to understand why a tiny operation on a shoestring can play such a huge part in getting the public information they need in an emergency. And from Karen Kronstall, I think you should do an episode about the little news outlet called Cabin Radio, based in Yellowknife. I know you love an underdog, they are a great one. So, Ollie, what makes you so great? I think what makes us great is, and you mentioned in the intro that I used to work for the BBC. If you want to change anything at the BBC, and I'm sure it's the same at the CBC, you know, you will you will alert someone higher up the chain and wait five years, and it might. At Cabin Radio, if there's an evacuation order, we can just drop everything and do it completely differently 37 seconds later, and that is what we've needed to do over the last week. Well before Yellowknife evacuated, we already had evacuations in smaller communities like Fort Smith and Hay River. We had been on kind of an alert footing for days, doing minute-by-minute live written updates to our website, and we just kept doing that all the way through the evacuation of Yellowknife, and we're still doing it today. And we can change what we do faster than larger organizations can change what they do. And a lot of that is a tribute also to the people I work with who have been heroes to me over the past week. They have done so much incredible work. But I think that's why we help is we are very local. We all live there. And when something like this happens, we can just change what we were doing completely to what we think we should do. And so it's an online radio station. I mean, as you say in your station ID tags, it's not in a cabin and not a real radio station, although you're trying to... uh, rectify at least one of those things. Most of the time, it's, I guess, I'm having turned it on live several times at different times a day over the past few days. Most of the time, it's a music station and a good one, too, like somewhere between CBC Music and a Guardians of the Galaxy playlist. But it's the online news coverage in particular that has distinguished Cabin Radio. It's the written coverage. It's been what's published on the website, in particular, what you've been doing over the past few weeks with regard to the wildfires. You've been offering, and I believe you're still offering, as we record this, you're still offering live text updates, which is kind of like a live blog, but almost like pithier with like a greater mix of tones than like, like you have like live coverage or press conference and announcements from official bodies broken up by more uplifting stories and shout outs and even even humor. Is that do you think I has that summarized it accurately? Yeah, my job at the BBC for most of the time I was there was to write live texts of sports coverage. So my background in this comes from things like the 2008 Olympics, which were in China, where I would have the overnight shift in London, writing minute by minute updates on, you know, water polo or modern pentathlon or javelin, all of which require a little bit of extra sales pitch to connect through to an audience that might not ordinarily want to read minute by minute text updates of a water polo match. So that is sort of the background for this is that it turns out that live text updates, far from being this anachronistic thing from another age, are actually a very, very good way to get information that is timestamped out to people and provide a little bit of levity in between all of that and sound like a human being, which is what we did at the BBC and is is what I'm doing now, is to make it very, very clear that a human is giving you these updates and is going and getting them and vetting it and trying to be a human at the same time. And I think that really helps people embrace coverage and appreciate that they're getting what we think is important for them to get because we are right there with them. We're living the same thing. 
it is kind of incredible because it's certainly not the first time people have done a live blog, although they you know have largely fallen out of favor in Canada. But a big reason why they fell out of favor is because I think people basically migrated to Twitter and maybe about 10 years ago, to the extent that newspapers would still have live blogs, they would literally just be a widget that aggregates tweets from the various reporters on the ground covering something. But now with this structure in place, I mean, what it reminds me of is a Twitter timeline or what a Twitter timeline looked like back when it was still called a Twitter timeline. And the same sort of mix of curated information mixed with personality, humor, and a range of tones to both deliver large chunks of of explanatory information, if that's not redundant, as well as enough mix of other things to keep people in humor, to keep people engaged. So, like, here are three consecutive updates from this morning, 8.24 a.m. Mountain Time. We have some answers back about remote working for territorial government employees. We'll get that turned around to a short report this morning, 8.29 a.m. There are hundreds, possibly thousands, of Northwest Territories residents sheltering for the time being in Edmonton, so the city's Pride Festival is finding ways to include performers from the territory. Here's more in the link from my colleague Asta, who had been with us for exactly one week when everyone was ordered to flee. Welcome to Cap'n Radio, Asta. And at 8.33, Scott on The Morning Show is describing the family dogs discovering skunks for the first time. All these little Alberta firsts for Northerners. You've been uniquely well-positioned to withstand... I guess this retreat or this this abandonment by these third party structures, American structures that we've used to convey information, relay information for the past 15 years. Even if there wasn't a meta ban on news, I would have made the same decisions in terms of how we communicated our information, because even with free access to Facebook, Instagram and free consumption of news, stuff ends up everywhere. Stuff ends up on a hundred different Facebook pages especially in the Northwest Territories, which practically runs on Facebook. You know, election results get posted to Facebook and only to Facebook by most communities. And each community is using its own Facebook page to post updates. Some communities have a separate page for their protective services division. So that's where the fire updates go, not on the main community page. Government agencies have Facebook pages. And are you checking the Northwest Territories Department of Education updates on when school will start because of these evacuations? No, you're probably not because... There are thousands of pages out there. Our job is to go around and get all of that on your behalf rather than you having to check 100, 150 pages. Put it all on one page with a timestamp next to it and a link to more information so that you don't have to do that. And I think even if we were able to share things to Facebook the way that we might have done before, that service would still be intensely valuable because not everyone has Facebook. I mean, originally when I started to approach this episode and trying to think, how do we want to talk about this? I wanted to talk about, you know, Facebook and what they're doing. And I'm still angry about that, but it's something I've spoken about before. And taking Facebook to task is fun and easy and entirely deserved. It's time for us to expect more from corporations like Facebook that are making billions of dollars off of Canadians. But yeah, what I'm interested in is less about how, yeah, how they're obstructing the news than how people are trying to get around it. I mean, all you're saying the Northwest Territory runs in these Facebook groups, and certainly I've been popping into some of those, as many journalists have been. There's one in particular, uh, Yellowknife's Rants and Raves 2.0, which has a membership equivalent to about three quarters of the city's population. Those are littered with screenshots of news stories, with text copied and pasted from news stories, with photos and videos of TVs showing the CBC. It's some of the sort of the improvisation that you expect people to have in a disaster context where you're, you know, you're trying to figure out how do we get information? How do we 
make things work in a situation where we don't have access to things. But it's in this case, it's being applied to sharing information to get around an arbitrary restriction on that. I guess I didn't appreciate how much people want to share news and solid news stories on Facebook. That right there is the point. You didn't appreciate that. And I don't think many journalists do, me included, until having seen what happened here. So I think newsrooms, generally speaking, underestimate their audiences significantly. We tend to have a basic assumption that we must do everything in our power to drag an audience kicking and screaming to our journalism. And sometimes that's true. And that, let's face it, is why news organizations have leaned on Facebook for so many years. And they've tailored their journalism to Facebook. What can we do that will make people click on this from Facebook? What can we do to make this work in the algorithm? Which is, let's face it, a strange and unfortunate way to do journalism because it is essentially doing journalism on behalf of a platform rather than doing it on behalf of an audience. And what this last week has taught me is to stop doing that because the most vital journalism that our audience needs, they will go out and find and they will do the work on our behalf of undermining anything arbitrary that's in the way of them sharing vital information with others. They they didn't even blink. You know, nobody sat in front of their Facebook app on Wednesday last week and saw only cat gifs and said, right, well, I'm going to get myself out of Yellowknife with the help of cat gifs. They just got rid of that, found our website or CBC North or the newspaper or anyone else in the Northwest Territories. It's not just us. And they used that information and found ways to share that information. And I think that has taught me a really important lesson that our audience knows what's good for it. And if something turns out to be pretty much useless, they will stop doing it that way and find another way. Yeah. I mean, part of it is obviously extreme life or death news situation that affects a lot of people in a way that with an immediacy that, you know, many things don't have. But still, once again, like seeing the way the lengths that people are going to and the creative ways that they're finding to try to convey information to get around these blocks. I mean, it's been touching for me and I'm not even the one, you know, I'm certainly not even the one producing this journalism. I can't imagine what it must be like for you. The thing I also want to say is I've already said that there are multiple newsrooms doing this and they've all done commendable work. But also I would just like to put 15 seconds aside of this podcast to say there are people who have run the airports. There are people making food for essential workers. There are a crazy amount of human beings who have played invaluable roles in in all of this. And and I don't want that to get lost in some live text updates that might have helped out a little bit. Like we're doing our part, but thousands of people are currently doing their part in in the craziest situation that the Northwest Territories has ever found itself in. But it is professionally cool to see an audience respond to your work and and amplify that work through all of the means at their disposal without you having to ask them to do it. I mean, another thing you see a lot of in these Facebook groups is journalists, particularly journalists from the rest of Canada who likely don't have their own community connections, posting, you know, their contact information, soliciting comments on this or that angle that they want to, you know, write about, which is totally fair. That's what you do. Uh, But, you know, there was one post from a technical manager at Global News that rubbed some people the wrong way. A few hours ahead of last Friday's evacuation deadline, he wrote, car power inverter required, please. Global news crew in Yellowknife looking to buy or borrow a sine wave car inverter Friday morning to use on way south. Please message me. Why from Googling that? That device is basically a thing that lets you power equipment via a car battery. Why do you think people took issue with that request? Glad you clarified what the request was actually for because it sounded like a flux capacitor to me. I didn't have a clue what they were asking for. But my personal view on this is that if a community is under an evacuation order, don't go into it. And I know that that may not necessarily be how journalism has been done in the past, 
and that we do rely on journalists a lot of the time to be in situations that others can't be in. But the way that the world is now, with the technology at our disposal, we are able to reach so many essential workers still in Yellowknife. We have shots. I've just uploaded a 12-minute video this morning with drone footage of Yellowknife's defenses and all sorts of other stuff, supplied by essential workers who are building the defenses, but then documenting it and sending the materials to us. I don't need to be there. I can provide pretty comprehensive coverage of exactly what has been built there, exactly what the fire situation is, and exactly what people need to know. And I am 600 kilometers away from Yellowknife right now. And I have got as much access as I could ever hope for to media from Yellowknife in terms of photos and video, contacts in Yellowknife that I can speak to. I've got everything I would need. I would not be more effective in Yellowknife. You will not be more effective in Yellowknife by flying in there as a journalist during an evacuation order. You might look good with the city in the background, but you will not do a more effective job than coming and joining me in Fort Simpson with the nice Mackenzie River as your backdrop and telling your audience, this is as close as I can safely be. Here's the latest. Yeah, I mean, I started as more of a broader thing that people were just annoyed or exasperated, yeah, by reporters flying in from elsewhere to report as though it's not part of the same country with its own capable journalists. Most of the capable journalists had gone. We all left. There's an evacuation order. Don't you go in. Like, if anyone can sustain themselves in Yellowknife in the middle of an evacuation, it's going to be people who have houses with food in the fridge and, and local contacts and the ability to sustain themselves with their own property and, and their own connections that they've built up over years. You flying in from a larger network are not going to have any of those resources. And if something breaks with your vehicle, you're going to have to put a very embarrassing post somewhere online saying, can someone please lend us this? We realize you're all fleeing for your lives. Is there any chance someone can help me inflate a tire? Which is obviously not going to go down well. But the broader point that I'm making is you don't need to be there anymore. And I know that journalists don't like hearing that because everybody wants to be the person that's on the ground. And here's the breaking news. In a situation like this, we have so much access to material from the ground there. I have got no reason to be there. And it's my house that's on the line. So I'm happy over here. Why aren't you? Yeah, I mean, at its worst, that kind of coverage, or na which is often national coverage of a, of a disaster, can amount to what our editor-in-chief Karen described as uh, fire porn. I Googled that because I was, I was curious if that was like a widely used term in this context. And I'm sad to say the search results for fire porn were not helpful. But I'm thinking, just contrasting it, that sort of parachute journalism with, I guess, this other way that people are, I guess, sort of getting around or trying to navigate this the new or shifting information ecosystem, which is, I mean, via TikTok. And in particular, the photographer and filmmaker Morgan Seda, a member of the Yellow Knives Dene First Nation. And even though she's a photographer and filmmaker, her TikToks don't really emphasize images. It's kind of, yeah, the, the inverted version of this parachute journalism fire porn. That, so it's rather than someone from outside flying in and showing you the flames, she's someone whose videos are mostly just her talking, but whose explanatory updates are shot through with reminders of her own personal connection. There is now currently an evacuation order, an evacuation order in place for the capital city of the Northwest Territories, Yellowknife. I'm still in the community of Dilo with my family. We are getting ready to prepare to leave in the morning as early as possible. Um, flights will start going out to evacuate people who are unable to get rides tomorrow. And um, this is an unprecedented time for the capital city of Yellowknife. And I'm just really... Um, this is my home, and I'm really scared, so, um, 
I'll update when I like when I can. A one video in particular has like 4.7 million views on TikTok alone, which almost certainly makes it the most widely viewed Canadian coverage of the Yellowknife wildfires. And seeing images of the flames, I think there is value to that. I think there is value of showing what the scale of that looks like. But I also think that what Morgan is doing is at least as valuable. I think it's intensely valuable. And I'm very, very proud that in a couple of Morgan's TikToks, you can see screenshots of our coverage, right? We we are the supply chain providing people like Morgan with the information that they can rely on and things for them to be able to use to demonstrate to people this is what's happening. I do not have the capacity right now, nor frankly, the technical skill or the personality to be delivering a TikTok account that's going to do that sort of job at the same time as everything else we're doing. I have no desire to be an influencer, but I do quite like doing up to the minute breaking news regarding my home community being threatened by a wildfire. And then along comes someone like Morgan, who does have the skills and does have the ability to craft an audience that's going to be told about this. And, and people should be told, right? That's what our jobs are. That's great. And someone like Morgan comes and takes our stuff and makes it into something greater and makes it into something different and powerful. That is really fantastic from my point of view. You know, I, I, nothing probably in the last week has thrilled me more than to see things like that happening, where people take our coverage and the coverage of other journalists and use that as a basis to say to the rest of the world, this is what's going on. This episode is brought to you by Article. Article's furniture is classic. Their team of designers are committed to finding the perfect balance between style, quality, and price. I bought a bunch of stuff for them. I should have taken it in for the winter. This is patio furniture. I didn't, but it held up beautifully. It looks just like it did when I received it. And I got to tell you, I like buying things that you can feel good about like every day, like every day that I sit on this stuff. I think that was a good buy. I'm glad I did that. Ordering from Article is not your traditional furniture shopping experience. To hell with that experience. This is a new experience. They've gotten rid of the hassle. With Article, you can order online from the comfort of your own home. Have your furniture delivered right to your door stress-free. Article is offering listeners of this podcast $50 off with your first purchase of 100 bucks or more, which, like, that could be a 50% savings. To claim it, visit article.com slash CanadaLand. The discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That is article.com slash CanadaLand for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Ollie, on this show, we like to duly note things. Today, I'd like to note, Julie, that the Canadian media gold workers at TVO, Ontario's public broadcaster, are on strike. Uh, they went on strike Monday morning, and in media, as in most industries, it's fairly common for labor negotiations to tiptoe to the brink of a possible work stoppage, but it's actually pretty rare to reach the point of one, sort of like how civil suits are almost always settled before actually getting to a trial. It's the threat of the thing that motivates people to reach a deal. So I, I personally was surprised when the union called the strike Monday morning, even though they've been saying for months that that was absolutely on the table. The issues are, you know, wages, of course, but also contract work. Like a lot of collective agreements, including Canada Lands, TVO's contract has a clause to discourage management from stringing people along on contracts indefinitely, saying that after a certain period, you just got to hire them or let them go. In TVO's case, that was two years. The union has said that management is dead set on eliminating that clause, at least as it pertains to education workers at the corporation. And I should also just note that Candleland employees, including myself, are members of CWA Canada, which is stands for Communications Workers of America Canada, a little awkward, uh, which is the umbrella national union of which the Canadian Media Guild is the largest local. Uh, Meredith Martin, the president of the Guild's 70-member TVO branch, 
told the Canadian press that we're living in a time where hard work is not paying off the way it used to for previous generations. And we'll definitely have more on this in the near future. Duly noted. Ollie, uh, what would you like to know, Julie, today? I would like to duly note that the daughter of Lois Lane flew into Yellowknife yesterday on a flight sponsored by a vodka company to evacuate pets. Yes, I saw that headline. That headline? Possibly the greatest achievement of my editorial career. The headline was, Lois Lane's daughter rescues Yellowknife pets in vodka-assisted flight. All of which is true. Except, you know, it's the actress who played Lois Lane, Margot Kidder, but still, effectively true. Effectively true. The best headlines are always effectively true. Duly noted. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Cabin Radio. Not in a cabin, not a real radio station. So as we discussed, Cabin Radio is neither at a cabin nor on the radio, but... In 2019, you applied, you submitted an application to the CRTC, the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission. You have to take a breath before saying the name. You applied for a license to open up a new FM station in Yellowknife, which I believe currently has just the one commercial FM radio station. Well, we'll come back to this, but basically, yada, 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 four years later, that is, that is to say earlier this year, the CRTC came back and said, well, we've looked at this, or we've looked generally around this. And we've decided that Yellowknife cannot support a second commercial radio station. It's not a big enough or healthy enough market. And we are going to return your application to you unopened. We are welcome to try again in two years. There's a lot to unravel there. And every time I looked into something, it's like, wow, there's another layer or fun or weird thing to it. But first, I want to ask, why do you want to trust your radio station? Why do you want a signal? 
Yellowknife can still use it. I mean, we just have lived through circumstances in which an FM radio signal would have been extraordinarily helpful because we would have been able to do everything we were doing with the live text updates over FM to the city as people were preparing to evacuate. So they wouldn't have even needed to stop and refresh a web page and read the latest. They'd have had that coming straight to them through FM radio in their vehicles at home, wherever they happened to be. Now we can do that through the live stream, but it's it's not as simple for people to access. And people may stop me and say, well, you're talking about an extra eight seconds to open an app and hit play or to Bluetooth something to your car. People won't do it. People do not do it. They will always default to the easiest possible access to things. And that still, in the Northwest Territories, is turning on an FM radio. And there is so much bandwidth available on the dial. And so had we been on the air last week, I think we would have helped a great deal more even than we did. And I think that is the perfect example of why this is so important. Now, even without that, though, FM is still a powerful commodity in the Northwest Territories. It reaches a lot of people. It is relied on by people. And we wouldn't be seeking it if we didn't think it was going to be an extremely important way to engage with our audience. So as I alluded to, it's been an interesting path to get from there to here. And I also yada, yada, yada it over the middle of it. But I also should mention that you're now suing the CRTC in federal court or the federal court of appeal in order to basically overturn the have a judicial review of that decision or overturn that decision or at least have them maybe look at it. Going back to looking at the decision itself, for listeners who aren't familiar exactly with how the CRTC works, it's almost closer to the, like, the national energy regulator than it is to like a court process. It's usually everything on there, everything they do, everything they have, unlike courts, which are often very keep a lot of information documents close to their chest, CTC usually buries you in documents. There's massive, massive briefs, massive, massive filings. It's often highly technical, often impenetrable. And their decisions, similarly, are often, it actually makes you feel like the court system, it actually makes you appreciate the, the clarity of judges' writing or the relative transparency of, yeah, fucking like, like a national energy board, for example. But this decision, this case, was uncommonly thin. It was really brief. There was no public hearing. They looked at trying to determine whether Yellowknife could support another station. They looked at the submissions they received, which from their perspective were just those from the two other, the two existing stations in Yellowknife. Primarily, I think it's True North FM, which runs, which are owned by Vista Radio, which is based in BC, and they own a chain of Moose FM type things across Canada. And the analysis was pretty much limited to, from the CRTC, limited to a few paragraphs, concluding that, well, Yellowknife cannot support an additional radio station at this time. Consequently, we'll turn the application unopened. That decision was accompanied by a couple of dissenting opinions from, from particular commissioners, one from Claire Anderson, who is the commissioner for British Columbia and the Yukon, and another one from Joanne T. Levy, or maybe Levy, who is commissioner from Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and they had pretty forceful dissents. In one of the dissenting opinions, by the one by Commissioner Levy, she wrote, The worst of the pandemic is over. The existing commercial radio station in Yellowknife cannot bar competition indefinitely by citing unprofitability. Diversity of voices should be supported as much in a somewhat remote northern community as anywhere else in Canada. And in her dissent, Commissioner Claire Anderson said, you know, the market assessment they did didn't include any submissions by cabin radio as it did not file any intervention or apply under the notice of consultation. 
And so, I mean, one of the basic questions I had here was, okay, so there was a majority opinion that's kind of thin. Then these two forceful dissents, how many people even heard the application? There are, the CRTC has like nine commissioners. There's like a, a vacant spot currently. Does that mean this was like a 6-2 decision? So I just emailed the CRTC asking for clarification, like who who's in the majority on this? And like, how many people heard this? And they said I'd have to file an access to information request for that information, which and I, I'm very accustomed to dealing with Canadian institutions uh, that are often difficult in Canadian court systems and things. That is a new one for me, a quasi-judicial process where they won't even, not even won't tell you who heard an application. They won't even tell you how many people heard an application or what constitutes a majority. Then to spin around, one of my favorite microgenres of TikTok is Brits giving their impressions of their first impressions of Canada. What has your impression of this process been from your perspective? Well, first of all, I am a Canadian now. I got my citizenship okay. earlier this year. And that took much less time than this CRTC process. And you don't often hear praise for the immigration authorities in Canada, but I went up and shook a couple of very senior figures personally by the hand to say congratulations on on significantly outmaneuvering the CRTC in terms of federal ability to respond to an application for something. I am yeah, not surprised to hear that you can't get from the CRTC how many people actually reviewed this. Bearing in mind it took 36 months for that to happen from the start of our application being filed with the CRTC to them reaching that decision. Yeah, I don't know how many people actually were part of that decision-making process. We we have a lot of issues with with what took place. You know, we we first of all think that the way that the CRTC measured the the capacity of Yellowknife for an extra station was was very strange because it did not take into account the CRTC's responsibilities under the Broadcasting Act which are to consider the public interest. And there was no sign of the public interest being considered. The only thing that seemed to be considered was the interest of the incumbent. And there's only one English language commercial incumbent, which is North FM. And beyond that, we also felt as though there was no procedural fairness, not just because it took three and a half years to get to this point, which is by no means a procedurally fair length of time, but also because none of the submissions that we provided appear to have been considered anywhere, and we provided a good deal of submissions. And lastly, we just think it's a it's an arbitrary it's an arbitrary restriction in terms of making a decision that prevents an an audience from from accessing what we're able to offer. The whole point of the CRTC, you read everything they put out. they they support a plurality of news voices, for example. Well, last week was a time when the city was crying out for a plurality of news voices, and, and that was not supported by the CRTC and, and wasn't for years. So we think a, a lot went wrong in that process, which is why we've asked the legal system to, to take a look at that. One thing was mentioned in one of the dissents was that essentially the uh, cabinet reader didn't actually submit anything on this question of the market assessment. We didn't see that. Therefore, we have to just go by what these other people are saying, or therefore the majority was just going by that. And so it came into focus for me as like, okay, this is kind of like, like a default type court decision where, you know, someone doesn't file a defense to, to say I'm a student, they don't file a defense. The court just has to kind of accept all of the allegations in the statement of claim. This read like, okay, it came into focus, okay, they're just sort of accepting what Vista Radio said because Cabin Radio didn't file anything on their own behalf. And trying to understand what happened there, reading through, you know, the various court documents, Vista Radio is now, they're opposing this request for judicial review. 
And they're basically, their argument is that you fucked up. And it's written in a kind of a, the lawyerly patronizing way. In doing so, the appellant, Cabin Radio, seeks to be relieved from the consequences of misunderstanding the CRTC's procedure at the expense of others who followed the CRTC's clearly articulated process. And Cabin Radio's procedural fairness argument requires this court to conclude that the CRTC had an obligation to advise, educate, and guide Cabin Radio through a competitive technical regime. What they're saying is, when you submitted your application, an updated application, you called it an updated application and you didn't call it market assessment data. And therefore, they basically, because of an extra few words, literally an extra few words in a cover letter, they didn't accept it. So just like trying to try to, I've been trying to think how to explain this for listeners. Basically, there were two parallel processes here. One was a market assessment where they were trying to figure out, can Yellowknife support another station? And then an application process where they're figuring out if we decide they can support another station, we'll open these applications and figure out who could get this license. And what Vista Radio, the incumbent, is arguing, and I think the CRTC is arguing as well, is that, well, Cabin Radio, they only submitted the application stuff. They didn't submit for the market assessment. They basically put it in the wrong pile, put it in the wrong column. Therefore, the CRTC didn't look at it. What would you say to that? Firstly, the CRTC hasn't said anything yet. It hasn't filed a response in the ongoing proceedings. Secondly, how easy did you find it to explain that to your audience just then? Exactly. If that's what's being relied upon, the idea that somehow we we got wrong a straightforward process, it didn't sound very straightforward when you were trying to explain it. And I disagree entirely. And I also, separately to that, <laughs> if, if there's a suggestion that the CRTC has no obligation to, to guide people through its processes, the CRTC created this process specifically to address the situation. It said as much in a, in a broadcasting notice that it put out. It said, we have specifically created a new process. So if the CRTC specifically creates new processes, I, I think it probably is incumbent on the CRTC to guide people who are part of the process through it. We, as far as we're concerned, did everything that was asked of us, and we, we put everything that was required of us into the CRTC's hands. And we are very confident that the CRTC had a lot of submissions from us that directly affected this. Even in a world where the CRTC, you know, the CRTC's dog ate those submissions, I would still hope of an authority with that power and those resources and that range that a study of the capacity of Yellowknife to host another FM station would be based on more than a few pages from the station already there. When I was at university, the first essay that I ever wrote as a history student at university came back. And it was and, Oxford, right? And it, it was at Oxford. And, and, it, and it had written atop it in red letters, it was the only feedback, pretty weak stuff. And that's how I feel about what I look at in terms of how this has been handled over three and a half, four years. First of all, our position is that we didn't do anything wrong. Secondly, if that were the case, there are also other rulings, if you like, decisions the CRTC has issued in the past where it has expressly stated that it took into account that an applicant or someone intervening filed something the wrong way, but they understood what they were trying to achieve, so they included it on the record. So the CRTC is clearly live to the fact that sometimes tiny institutions who don't have regulatory divisions maybe sometimes make mistakes. Again, I don't think we did. But if we did, that seems to be a thing that the CRTC has caught in the past and helped people with. Why do you think this case has been different? I am not about to try to speak for the CRTC. 
And you're actually, you have to go in a few minutes because you're about to prepare for a cross-examination by Vista Radio, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know when the cross-examination is going to be right now. I'm about to go and do some prep work for it. Uh, this is instigated by Vista Radio, which, as you say, uh, has inserted itself into the legal proceedings. We don't consider Vista Radio to be an adversary in this. The, the point is that we think the CRTC did some things that weren't procedurally fair. Not that we've got any issue with Vista Radio's behavior in any of it. But Vista Radio has inserted itself in and, and seeks to cross-examine. And that is a, a legal right. So, you know, while while I'm busy uh, evacuating and looking after that coverage, we'll we'll make a bit of time to do that at their request. And I'm uh, going to go and do a little bit of homework on that in a minute here. That's Shortcuts for this week. Thanks for joining me, Ollie. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. We're on X or Twitter or whatever it's called, at CanadaLand. You can email me at jonathan at canadaland.com. I read everything you send, and I'm sort of currently between social media platforms. I think we know the answer, but where can people find you, Ollie? Uh, cabinradio.ca and not facebook.com slash cabinradio. This episode is produced by Katie Lore with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Jofo. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Pugliese. Theme music is by SoCalled. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll also get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Candleland merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. And more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. And you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to candleland.com join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Thank you for supporting Candleland. Thank you.